overturning abortion and vax mandates. Do you think the U.S. Supreme Court will curtail Roe v. Wade, which legalized abortion in 1973? Might each of the 50 U.S. states have greater authority in determining its own abortion laws and vaccine mandate laws? How is the rejection of religious exemptions an obvious case of discrimination? All this and more in the sixth episode of Church and State with Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara. Welcome back to another installment of Church and State with Chris Ferrara and Brian McCall. It's good to see you again, Chris. Thanks, Brian. Looking well, forward we're here. to today's show. Yeah, there's been a lot of exciting things in the world the past couple of weeks, but we're going to focus on some developments in the legal system. Uh, first, we're going to talk about abortion, as there's a lot of movement in the courts and a lot of expectations raised about what might happen. And then we're going to talk on the latest on the jab litigation, the litigation <laughs> over the mandates to force people to make medical decisions. Let's start with abortion. So a couple weeks ago, the U.S. Supreme Court held oral arguments on a case that was challenging a Mississippi statute that said nobody could have an abortion legally in their state after 15 weeks of pregnancy. So for 15 weeks onward, it was illegal. And oral argument is when the uh, people who have made their case for or against come in and present their case. But really, most of it, for those who haven't seen it, are the justices asking questions or in this case, making long speeches, what seemed to happen with a few of them. Um, and we get some insights, perhaps, into what the justices are thinking based on their speeches and their questions. So no surprise, the liberal justices, uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Breyer, were very, very hostile to the Mississippi law. And I don't know if you listen, I mean, like the most shocking was uh, Sonia Sotomayor. I mean, she was outright rude in many cases. I don't know, was that your impression? Oh, I, I heard her, and uh, the one particularly revealing moment is when she said, in response to the idea that the fetus can feel pain, <laughs> yeah. oh, even dead bodies show vestigial reflexes, she said, it just, which shows just how ghoulish yes. this whole enterprise of killing unborn children really is. I mean, that was a shocking statement. Who is this woman is what I want to know. Well, interesting, what I thought is she kept saying, well, under the definition of brain death, people that are dead feel pain, which I was going to respond, well, then maybe your definition of dead is not right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on the positive side, now I don't know your impression. My impression is I read at least six justices who seemed open to do something in a broad sense to curtail the current Supreme Court position on abortion, which is essentially pretty much you can allow any kind of abortion anywhere. I mean, technically, the states can do nothing up until about 23, 24 weeks. And then after that, there's some very unclear law about what the states can do, uh, a very vague test. But I read at least some openness among at least six to, you know, revisit Roe v. Wade in some way. What, what was your, your thought on that? Well, the linchpin <laughs> of the uh, argument for overturning Roe is that it was saved by the arbitrary imposition of a deadline for abortion at viability. And so much of the argument was taken up with the debate over where does, where does this viability deadline come from? Certainly not in the Constitution. It's not even in Roe versus Wade. It seems to be the way under the Casey decision that they saved the whole framework of the abortion industry. 
by positing non-regulation of abortion prior to viability. But that's an arbitrary dividing line between protection of life in the womb and the ability to destroy it at will. And no one could provide a satisfactory explanation of why viability should be the dividing line, where it, where it came from. It's basically a legislative determination being imposed by the Supreme Court. Those kinds of distinctions belong to legislation, not the Constitution, certainly not a decision by the Supreme Court as to what the Constitution provides in terms of what some have called great big liberty. So that's a, a problem for the seeming majority in favor of doing something to uphold the Mississippi law. Without the viability dividing line, what saves abortion regulation from being imposed at any stage of pregnancy from the moment of conception? There really is no answer to that. So it seems possible that you have at least five justices who recognize that from the beginning, Roe versus Wade was basically a quasi-legislative determination by a court that exceeded its authority, and that legislative matters are best left to the states. And so Roe should be overturned, and this matter should be left to the states, the majority of which will, of course, still legalize abortion, but probably 20 or more states will ban it outright. So it's very interesting. We don't know what's going to happen. I can't imagine, though, what the compromise would be. Can you? No, I... I I guess the only compromise I can imagine is maybe if Roberts could work this, let's in theory say, oh yeah, Roe is still law. There's still a right to abortion. So if there's like five seconds where you could have an abortion, you still have a right to an abortion and essentially pay lip service to Roe, but give states a lot of freedom. But again, I'm not sure there's enough justices for him to work his uh, weaselly compromise that way, but that that's the only possibility I could see. Yeah, I think so. I think Roberts, if it goes the way it may well go, Roberts will be dropping out. Uh, he might actually join the liberal minority. We'll get a five to four decision overruling Roe. It certainly seems that at least five justices are ready to do that. Certainly three. Yeah. Barrett gave comments that would indicate that she's of a mind to do that. And if she does it, there's no reason to doubt that Kavanaugh would. So I think we're looking at a five four decision basically reversing Roe versus Wade, the Dred Scott decision of our time. Well, and actually- By the several, way, Dred Scott was never actually overruled. Yes, exactly. Most people don't know that. The state that said, you know, the decision that said that uh, black Americans were, were slaves and were non-persons never actually got overruled. It was uh, obligated by statute. So. Yes. By constitutional amendment. But speaking of the viability point, I thought it was very interesting, though, that even John Roberts pointed this out, that he said, well, two countries that have a law like ours that the Supreme Court made up where you can have an abortion of viability are North Korea and China. Uh, it's kind of an interesting club to be involved in. Well, you know, maybe maybe Roberts, seeing that uh, the tide is turning and that uh, Roe versus Wade is going down, will sign on to a majority opinion. He might concur in the result, express misgivings but maybe he wants to be on the side of the majority. Uh, maybe this is a uh, his come-to-Jesus moment, finally, on the issue of, of abortion. Uh, I don't know. It remains mysterious, but uh, yes. I'm betting on a five to four that Roe will be yep. basically obligated, if not outright overruled. 
Now, as you touched on, there's there's one angle of this, and, and Justice Kavanaugh spoke a lot about this, that the result could effectively be there's no constitutional right to abortion. States can authorize it or not, and it just goes back to the states. It doesn't stop right. abortion. It just says, what, what from a Catholic perspective, what do you think about that? Is that a unsatisfactory result? Is it satisfactory? You know, Should they just be saying, no, abortion is against the constitutional rights of the baby and can't be legal? What, well, what my position is always been i've had serious arguments with people about this my position has always been that nothing prevents the court from declaring that under the fifth amendment the unborn child has a right to life uh, as applied to the states through the 14th amendment and that's what life tenure is for for the judges uh, to be able to make courageous decisions such as this one that uh, the unborn person is a life and being is entitled to 14th amendment protection via the fifth amendment as applied to the states and that's the end of the matter and you could cite the entire Western tradition on the treatment of unborn children as lives and being for inheritance purposes. You have feticide statutes. You have the common law, even before the United States became the United States, recognizing the humanity of the unborn child. You know, if we have in the Constitution a human rights charter that one may not be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, what's to stop the court from saying? Innocent people cannot be put to death by any process. There is no due process for executing innocent unborn children. Therefore, under the due process clause, there can be no abortion because innocents cannot be murdered. Uh, For example, suppose the state passed a law saying that uh, murder is authorized as to any person who annoys the perpetrator. (laughs) Uh, you know, it's a law of general application under Smith, Employment Division versus Smith. It applies to everybody. Everybody who's annoyed can kill anybody who annoys him. So what would the Supreme Court do in that case? Would it say, well, there's due process. You know, the person has uh, has a legislative enactment, which was duly enacted, and he's extremely annoyed. He can kill somebody. No, the Supreme Court would obviously say in that case, there can be no due process. Mm-hmm to allow the execution of innocent people who are found by others to be annoying. Well, in the case of abortion, what are they doing? They're slaughtering innocent people for the convenience of the mother, or more likely in many cases, the mother's companion or husband who doesn't want the child. So why can't the Supreme Court, applying the Fifth Amendment to the states via the 14th Amendment, declare, contrary to Justice Scalia, by the way, who said that the 14th Amendment only applies to walking around people, declare simply that, uh, no, it isn't just walking around people. People in general, including those in the womb, are entitled to the protection hmm. of the Fifth Amendment against deprivation of life without due process of law, there being no due process to kill an innocent person. And everyone would ha- would stipulate that the child is innocent. So where's yes. the due process? How can there possibly be due process to murder innocent people? Well, it was interesting. There was a really, I thought, brilliant moment when Justice Thomas, he kept asking this question by at least two or three times. Well, how can there be a right to abortion if women can be prosecuted for child neglect and abuse for taking illegal drugs during pregnancy that harm their child? Right? Yeah. And, that, and he that, couldn't get an answer. Finally, the woman representing the abortionist said, well, the only difference is if the child's born, then they can do that. But if they're aborted, then there's no child abuse. 
<laughs> so, so it's like if you're murdered, you're not a, you weren't a person. But if you survive a murder attempt, you're a person. I mean, that's literally what she was saying. It was it's like, absurd. Well, what the oral logic would reveal is that the right to abortion is utter nonsense. There is no such yes. right. So yeah. you're right. I mean, the idea that someone can be prosecuted for child neglect when the child neglect occurs as to a child in the womb, and also that there are feticide <laughs> statutes where if you uh, beat up a pregnant woman and you kill the child, that's a form of homicide. This yeah. is obviously an implicit recognition going all the way back to the common law, all the way back to the Greeks, for heaven's sake, that the unborn child is a life and being. So, uh, yeah, the, in the end, there is no right to kill innocent people in the womb. And the oral argument brought that out so clearly, especially yes. in the ghoulish remarks of yes. Sotomayor. Yes. I mean, she sounded like Dr. Mengele. Yes, she did. Oh, she well, really you know, did. even dead bodies can flinch. Yes. <laughs> Well, we'll see. Uh, as is the case, we don't expect a decision until probably June, the end of June, but uh, definitely left very hopeful. And then we won't talk about it, but on a last positive note, Texas that has a, a actually a, a more restrictive law that prevents abortion from about eight weeks from really any time the heartbeat is detected. The Supreme Court had an opportunity to put that law in a penalty box to sort of not apply while they were pursuing litigation over it and declined to do so. So at least for the, the time being, that Texas law is saving children and is stopping abortion. So another another positive, positive well, sign. That's an interesting development because theoretically, if there is a constitutional right to abortion, then the Texas law runs headlong into federal preemption by saying that uh, there is no right to abortion when a heartbeat is detected. So there's a conflict between so-called federal law which imagines that there's a right to abortion and Texas law. And alarmingly enough, Barrett during oral arguments said, well, how can we permit this? We can't have this preemption, which is challenged only in individual lawsuits. There needs to be a global solution to the problem. Thankfully, it seems she was talked out of that. And now what's going to happen is, even if there is a so-called issue of preemption where federal law uh, captures the field and is in conflict with the Texas law. Apparently, Barrett is now content to let that be challenged in individual lawsuits, hmm. which is interesting because these challenges will run smack into the, the court's decision on whether there is, in fact, a right yes. to abortion. By the time these challenges reach the Supreme Court, the, the court may have decided that there really never was a constitutional right to abortion, that this matter should be left to the states. So that would yes. harmonize the state law with federal law. Maybe that's what's about to happen. The two trains yes. are approaching the same de destination. Good. Well, we will wait. And it's a good thing to pray about for our viewers that these justices do the right thing and uh, uphold the divine and natural law. But let's turn to our second topic. Another uh, thing that's happened in the courts has been litigation over the requirement that you accept experimental gene serums, as Archbishop Vigano likes to call them, that were basically promoted and, and, quote, approved without really any testing or viable data. And uh, we saw some good things. Uh, Joe Biden's administration has tried to force everybody and their mother to adopt a mandate, federal employees, federal contractors, private businesses. All of those mandates essentially have been stopped at lower court levels who have uh, said, you know, and one of them, that this is just a flagrantly illegal and unconstitutional act and cannot even be allowed to be enforced while the litigation goes on. So that's very positive. But sure. then, uh, as you know, 
uh, sometimes lower courts do the right thing, but they, uh, as things move through the system, that victory is uh, snatched away. Well, so in this just, case, not, I don't think it's going to happen as to the OSHA mandate. Uh, the challenges from the diff different yeah. circuits were by lottery assigned to the Sixth Circuit, which is considered one of the more conservative circuit courts. And efforts to um, lift the stay in the Sixth Circuit have failed. So I think all of these federal mandates, the OSHA mandate, the CMS, the Medicare mandate, the federal workers mandate, uh, will crash and burn. They'll go down like the Hindenburg because they're just ridiculous. They, the president has no authority. The federal government has no authority to force the entire nation to be vaccinated. It's it's laughable. Uh, but the problem now is with the state mandates. And, you know, I'm litigating state mandate cases. Yes. Uh, and the case that I litigated in New York, New York in the Northern District resulted in an injunction forbidding enforcement of the health care mandate for health care workers, doctors and nurses. It was a preliminary injunction, which was appealed to the Second Circuit, a panel of the Second Circuit in a, a, what I consider to be a ludicrous decision, struck down the preliminary injunction. We went to the Supreme Court on an emergency application, and the Supreme Court turned it down. It's not a merits decision. It was just an application for emergency relief. Uh, we're going to return to the court, I would think, for merits review on a petition for certiorari. But think about what's going on here. They're telling healthcare workers, doctors and nurses, who are religiously motivated and don't wish to be vaccinated for religious reasons, that they cannot work in the same hospital as those who are given medical exemptions. Right. Now, what's when you uh, litigate these cases, you say to the court, this is a violation of free exercise because comparable secular activity is given an exemption, but religiously motivated activity is not given an exemption. In this case, it's not even comparability. The group giving the exemption is doing exactly the same thing as the group seeking the religious exemption. The doctors who are medically exempt can work in the same hospital with personal protection equipment, the useless masks that everybody seems to can do something, and maybe a face shield and some gloves. They can keep working, but the religiously motivated person who wants to stand right next to that doctor or nurse and do the same thing in the same place at the same time with the same protection is denied a religious exemption. What's the reason? There's only one reason, religion. Right. So it's an obvious targeting of religion. And when the Supreme Court denied the emergency application, Justice Gorsuch wrote a brilliant 14-page, 14-page yeah. dissent from the denial of a non-merits emergency application, which he and Thomas and Alito would have granted. And in the, uh, in the decision, he notes that the key argument of the state against granting religious exemptions is absolutely specious. Here's what the state was saying. Okay, sure, the religious people want to work alongside the doctors and nurses who are medically exempt. That's fine as a matter of principle, but there'd be so many more religious exemptions that you would have hundreds of times the number of religious exemptions as medical exemptions. Justice Gorsuch says that's not the way free exercise analysis works. You look at the plaintiffs before the court. What do they want? They want a religious exemption so they can work next to the same people who got medical exemptions doing the same things at the same time. And those are the people you look to because rights belong to the individual. You can't turn every free exercise case into an examination of how many other people potentially would make the same claim. The claim is the one presented by the plaintiffs in that case. So without that argument about numerosity, there'd be just too many exemptions for the religiously motivated. Without that argument, the state has no argument. It's straight up, blatant, 
religious discrimination. You can work here because you're medically exempt, but you can't work here because your motive is religious. That can't I mean, it's, essentially, it turns the First Amendment into Congress shall make no law infringing on the free exercise of religion unless too many people want to exercise religion. That's, That's exactly it. it. That was right. the state's argument. Yes. And it's not even that they could prove that too many people want to exercise yes. religion freely. They merely assert that, oh, we just suppose that there'd be so many more religious exemptions. But that, that's not a proper analysis to get to what we call strict scrutiny. No. Once you show that there's disparate treatment, then the measure has to be strictly scrutinized. And there has to be a compelling state interest to justify it. And the measure has to be narrowly tailored. So Gorsuch said, once you get to that analysis of the compelling state interest, maybe they could argue that there'd be 10,000 religious exemptees, but only one medical exemptee, so that the medical, the religious exemptees as a group might pose a greater risk. But even that is dubious, because mm -hmm. if these precautions that were taken before the vaccine were sufficient for the safety of patients for 20 months, the masking, the gloves, and the face shield, why are they not sufficient now? And there's something else that's developing in these cases. It is now common knowledge that the vaccines don't work Right. <laughs> to prevent transmission or infection. The most they can do, and even that is becoming dubious, is reduce the severity of your personal symptoms. Well, that's like saying you can't work at the hospital unless you get a colonoscopy because you might come down with colon cancer. Right. <laughs> it doesn't matter to the others, to the public in general, whether a particular person takes the risk of getting sick if he's not spreading the virus to others or if he's spreading it just as readily with the vaccine. So there's really no public health issue any longer. It's well, just a personal I, I, health issue. What I thought was extraordinary that Justice Gorsuch mentions is, is that this, this governor, this laughable governor of New York that makes Andrew Cuomo look good, basically announced, well, you can't have a religious exemption because God wants you to take this vaccine. God gave us. I mean, she actually declares, why sure. would God give us this vaccine if it was bad? And it's like, Wow, that's really, I mean, she's now become the oracle that knows what God wants us to do. The oracle uh, of Albany, it, as it, I call it. Yeah, no, she actually said, and, I, and I'm quoting her, those who aren't getting vaccinated are not listening to God and what God <laughs> wants. This is the governor. And, and Justice Gorsuch cites this in his dissenting opinion and says, this is obviously a mandate motivated by hostility to religious yeah. objectors to vaccination who don't hold the correct theological view, which is that basically if the Pope says vaccines are good, you have to believe that, and you have to be vaccinated. She's imposing orthodoxy, religious I orthodoxy. Mean, I mean, she's doing exactly what the First Amendment says not to. She's establishing a religion. It is the religion yeah. of the vaccine that she's now, just announced. Yeah, yeah. Now the hopeful yeah. note here is that since this was just an emergency application, yeah. the court has not made any ruling on the merits. When it comes back to the court, after further proceedings for merits review on a petition for certiorari, then the court will have to confront the merits of the case. And how can they possibly uphold a vaccine mandate imposed by a governor who says God wants people to be vaccinated as to a vaccine that doesn't even prevent transmission, as to a workforce where the medically exempt can continue working okay. without being vaccinated. So yes. why can't the religious people who work in the same place at the same Doing time, the same it's completely yes. indefensible. It has to be struck down. Well, one interesting note, I thought, for um, 
Catholics, as you, you noted in Justice Gorsuch, I mean, again, unheard of to have a 14-page dissent on an emergency you know, review. Uh, but he notes in there, and I, I, Gorsuch, I, I know he may have had some early connection to Catholicism, but is not a Catholic. He's an Episcopalian, right. as far as I know. He notes that essentially the argument of the other side is, well, these people that are bringing the lawsuit, these doctors and nurses are Catholic. And Pope Francis has said it's an act of love to get the vaccine. So they have no religious exemption. And he just, again, the irony of this, that a non-Catholic justice essentially actually made an argument to protect traditionalists, uh, if you, in a certain sense. He says, you know, who is Pope Francis to bind, you know, on, or, or give really any binding advice on something like this? He, it's ludicrous. He can't force Catholics to violate their conscience, to violate religious principles with some just ludicrous statement that it's an act of love to take something injected in your arm. Uh, but even, and again, if were, even if that were true, that right. it weren't, even if it's an act of love to be vaccinated, you don't have to believe that. Yes. <laughs> and the Supreme Court has made it clear in numerous precedents, including Thomas versus Review Board, that a religious belief is entitled to protection, even if it happens to contradict the tenets of your own religion. You don't have to go along with all the tenets of your religion. Of course, there is no vaccination tenet for Catholicism. <laughs> That's just Francis's opinion on one of many subjects about which he knows absolutely nothing. But it has a very strong opinion about. <laughs> but the, but Gorsuch is the one that noted the obvious that yes. your particular religious belief, if sincerely held, is what controls, not what some denomination thinks, and certainly not what Governor Kathy and Albany thinks. Right. As, as well, I said yeah. moments ago, for this reason, the vaccine mandate is obviously a blatant violation of free exercise and cannot yes. stand on the merits. So if we get back to the court on merits review by which time there'll be a, probably a boatload of cases challenging vaccine mandates before the court. I have every reason to have hope that the court will do the right thing, just as it did with the church closure cases. Hmm. Remember last year, the first decision on church closures in which Roberts was in the 5-4 majority in the South Bay case upheld the church closures. Then Barrett joined the court, and more and more challenges arrived at the court. Finally, the tide turned and all the church closure measures justified by supposedly limiting the spread of the virus, which was never limited. Those right. closures were finally struck down one after the other. In fact, they had to rebuke California, the, the court, five different times before they finally got the message in the Tandon case. Hmm. And it's well, Tandon and, and Gorsuch looks to that. He says, you know, we, we made a mistake with the church closures and we right. waited too long, you know, and he sort of indicates that may happen again. So I tell you what, I'm about to prepare a, a litigation against the vaccine mandate in New York City, in which the lunatic outgoing governor, de Blasio, <laughs> has or declared mayor. that everyone five years older and up must be vaccinated in order to participate in society in New York in terms of various indoor locations. Basically, the list of indoor locations is so broad that you really can't go indoors without being vaccinated except to buy food and get medical care. All the social venues are denied to you. And yet there are convenient exceptions for sports teams from out of state. They don't have to be vaccinated because we want sports and entertainers from out of state, actors and music, musical acts, for example. They don't have to be vaccinated. They can come in and perform because we want bread and circuses. So we'll make, we'll make a secular judgment in favor of bread and circuses. Meanwhile, the five-year-old Orthodox child living in Brooklyn, for example, can't go into the kosher pizzeria unless he's vaccinated. It's preposterous. <laughs> yes. It's absolutely ridiculous. 
And when this case arrives at the Supreme Court, as it very probably will, there's just no way that they can avoid addressing cases like this on the merits. Because if they do, then they're just basically saying, wherever certain, a certain political party is in power, we can have a replica of Red China. Yes. Where you don't no. need your, your life in society depends on vaccination. And he said that explicitly. De Blasio said, you have to be vaccinated if you want to participate fully in society. By what authority does a governor impose that kind of regime on people? There is no authority for that. It's a naked power grab, and he thinks he can get away with it. Well, this is the same person that uh, the summer of 2020 said 50 people couldn't get together in the cavernous St. Patrick's Cathedral to pray, but thousands could get together if they want to protest the police. <laughs> I mean, just a, a blatantly... Yeah, they were, they were locking the playground, yes. so the Jewish kids in the uh, Brooklyn Jewish community couldn't play in a playground. And blocks away, while people were being yes. ousted from the playground, thousands were marching in protest of George Floyd's death. That was instrumental, by the way, in our getting an injunction back in June of 2020 against the church closure laws. And the, the judge in that case ruled that churches have to be given the same treatment as so-called phase two industries. If the phase two yes. industries have 50% capacity, so much churches. That was the first injunction of its kind, as far as I know. So, uh, yeah, the, these absurd restrictions have to be struck down by the Supreme Court in a way that they can never be repeated just as it seems now that the church closures will never again be attempted because of the line of cases that came from the Supreme Court on the church closures. You're not going to see church closures again. Yes. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts on these recent legal developments and for your you know, continued work in, involved in them. Uh, you've been you know, defending truth and natural law and Catholics for, for decades, primarily a lot of in uh, protesting abortion. And now you've really uh, had your second career in defending huh. uh, people against the totalitarian lockdown. So thank you for all the work you and the St. Thomas More Society are doing. I'm happy to have a new legal specialty, government overreach. <laughs> well, thank you for your attention and listening to our uh, commentary on hot issues in church and state. If you enjoyed the program, please share it. Uh, send the videos around to your friends and contacts. Maybe to your favorite liberal who, uh, you know, at least maybe caused them a heart attack listening to it. No, I can't, just kidding. Uh, but thank you for your attention, and we look forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Till the next time. This presentation has been brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2021 all rights reserved. For more resources regarding the Catholic faith and the message of Fatima, and to support this vital apostolate with a donation, please visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, Ora Pronobis.